Mark, Choi and I are in our third season of our podcast now, uh, and we're doing a mini-series, really, on church, race, and politics, since talking about race and church wasn't controversial enough. Yeah. Uh, but in <laughs> series, I assume next season's going to be church, race, politics, and sex. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. there we go, Chelsea. Yeah. Season yeah. four. <laughs> Season four is is planned, but in all seriousness, we're not seeking controversy. We're seeking to be faithful. Free will and predestination, you can get to that. (laughs) I don't know how that touches on race, but I mean, maybe. Uh, And so we're seeking to be faithful, and I want to begin with how you began a sermon the Sunday after the 2016 presidential election here in the States. Uh, And I'm just going to play the entire intro. Uh, which, given that it's you, it's a long intro, mm-hmm. uh, but I think a worthwhile one. So I'll play this for our listeners, and then Trillia will kick off our conversation. Living together as a congregation of this size, we have the experience of miscarriages and births in the same week. Baptisms and funerals, victories and defeats, promotions and firings all at the same time. How challenging does that make it for us to fulfill what we have vowed before God and each other to do? Just a few lines of our covenant. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church, exercise in affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. Friends, how can we learn to do that better? Especially with a week like the one we've just had. They say history is a great teacher. I'm not so sure that's always true. Let me illustrate this by a couple of conversations I've had on the streets over the years. The first happened in my hometown when I was just a boy, probably of 13 or 14. A complete stranger, an older man, stopped me on the street. He asked me who I was, and I told him. And then he just went into a couple of minutes of thanking me for my great-grandfather. He said that during the Great Depression, he would never have made it through if it weren't for my great-grandfather. He explained a little bit and then said, thank you, and went on. He probably wouldn't have known, but I never met my great-grandfather. He died before I was born. But that incident gives you a taste for my own story. A white son of an intact family always lived in the same town, with my dad's parents a block to the west of Main Street and my mom's parents living three blocks to the east. I could easily walk from one house to the other in 10 minutes, and the church we went to was right in between. When I was five, we moved out of town. That means 10 minutes south from these grandparents. (laughs) Two doors down from my great-grandmother on a street named after her husband's family. And the four other houses we saw from the front porch had all been built by members of that same family. My great-grandfather's grave was a short bicycle ride away, and one of my teachers in my public high school had taught my older sister and my mother 
and all of her brothers, and in fact had begun teaching in that public high school in the fall when my grandmother had graduated from it in the spring. I could go on in a much greater length, but what I'm telling you is that I have a very particular history, which has been great in so many ways, but which has not always proved to be the best teacher. In my world, there were no enemies. Now let me tell you about a second conversation. Again, on the street, this one years later, I'm walking along with a friend, and he's telling me his excitement about a girl he'd started to date. I could understand that. I was happy for him. And then he told me that her parents might reject him because he was black. Well, my initial instinct was, that's ridiculous. He's a great guy. And so I listened for a minute, and then I quickly reassured him that since he told me earlier that her parents were Christians, there was no way that would happen. Then he told me simply and clearly that it had already happened to him once in a previous relationship. He shared the story, and it was eerily similar to his current situation. My confidence that he was wrong had come because I learned too much. I had universalized too much from my own history. And his history was different. And it told a different story. And I couldn't deny that. Now, from my natural emotional assumption in life that I have no enemies, that was natural. But my friend's experience was different. He had people in his life who said they shared his Savior but because of the color of his skin being different than theirs, they wouldn't share their daughter. They wouldn't love him in that way. Having done nothing wrong, this friend found throughout his life people who acted as enemies. His history taught him different lessons than mine had taught me. His probably allowed for there to be people that had experiences like mine. In that sense, his understanding of history was more nuanced than my own, whereas mine had no place for experiences like his. So I, I needed to learn to supplement the lessons of my own history that it had taught me with the lessons that history had taught others, hard lessons like that one my good friend had been taught. Let me get very specific. Some members of our congregation are happy with the results of this last week's election. That's not just some people out there in red states. That's not just 81% of white evangelicals. That's some people sitting here, members of our church, are happy with the results of this last week's election. Not, I'm sure, that they would affirm anything that was sinful that Mr. Trump has done or said, but that's simply the case for whatever combination of reasons. There are another group of members of our church, a fairly large group from asking around, even here on Capitol Hill, who just really deeply and profoundly don't care. They just do not care that much about this election. 
and there are others, and a larger group than you might think if you're not in that group, who are scared. Not just that they don't like the outcome, they're scared. They've had experiences or heard of experiences, like my son phoned me about this week when a Palestinian friend of his in Louisville had her hijab ripped off and somebody said to her, we don't do that here anymore. And it's not just the mainstream media that make up stories. Things like this happen. And there are some members of our church who know this by personal experience. We need to learn from each other's histories. It's our job as a congregation to live out the covenant that we've taken before the Lord and to show that the Christ that we share is more important than the politics that we don't. Friends, this church has survived close elections before. It was here when Teddy Roosevelt was elected and when his cousin Franklin defeated President Hoover. We survived Truman versus Dewey and Kennedy versus Nixon and Nixon versus Humphrey, all close and contentious elections. I was even here when we survived Bush versus Gore. And not long before that, back in those days, we had Vice President Gore's scheduler as our deacon of sound and the Republican Senate Majority Leader sitting right there. We survived it as a church. Friends, I would be loath to think we've become less mature as a congregation now. I pray that we as a congregation can actually see the gospel displayed as we love those who voted differently than us this past Tuesday. And part of that can mean some very difficult conversations directly with those that you have some pretty deep political differences with. But part of loving them means being willing to hear them out and believe the best at least about their intentions, if not about their wisdom. I know there are some who seem compelled to have a more democratic church. And it may be some of you will leave in order to go to a more democratic church. There are plenty of them out there. And some of you feel compelled to have a more Republican church. And you may feel compelled to leave and go to a more Republican church. And there are plenty of them out there. But I think it's actually our best gospel strategy to grow individually as Christians and to especially reach Capitol Hill and this district to work hard against identifying our church with opposition to either party. Grace and peace, you're listening to United We Pray. Taking Racial Struggles to the Throne of Grace, United We Pray is a podcast about racial divisions in churches. I'm one of the hosts, Isaac Adams, and I'm here with my co-host, my dear sister, Trillia Newbell. Hello, Trill. Hey. And Trillia, we have a guest today, uh, a friend of mine. We spir- do. Spiritual father in many ways. Uh, my pastor here in D.C., president of Nine Marks. Oh, my. There we go. Mark <laughs> Dever. Hello, Isaac. Hello, Trillia. Good to be with you all. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for joining us, brother. So, Mark, we just listened to that clip, and um, thank you for sharing those stories, uh, specifically to your congregation and caring for your congregation in that way. And um, at the end of the clip that we played, you you start to share that you don't want your church to oppose either party, that you want to be known for something else. And Why do you think working hard to uh, not oppose either party as a church is the best gospel strategy? 
Uh, Trulia, that's a natural question. And I think in different historical settings, you do have to go ahead and be known to oppose a particular party. You know, if we were in Nazi Germany in the 1930s, I think you just have to be known as opposing the Nazis. Uh, I don't right. think we're there. And uh, until we get there, I think it's better for Christians to be able to disagree on political solutions uh, and still trust each other's sincere adherence to the gospel. And therefore, I think we want to work as a church, as a place where, given people's differences on progressive tax policy or uh, health insurance <laughs> or, you know, we can name any number of policies, uh, we think that we have a gospel that you don't have to agree with us politically in order to affirm. Now, obviously, the, the, the more our country spins down uh, the heritage of, of biblical morality, which has always been mixed, but there's always definitely been a large component of it there, we're clearly spinning it down uh, in some areas, uh, abortion, divorce, uh, nature of marriage. Uh, that, those, um, those areas that we might feel by conscience constrained to speak publicly against national policy, uh, they appear. Uh, but on so many of the issues that divide Republicans and Democrats, about which there can be great heated cable news TV exchanges, I think you can have a Christian who's honestly persuaded of either side or in any other ways to approach those things. And we shouldn't say that adhering to this tax solution or that is necessary to truly trusting in Christ. I agree. That's, yeah, that's helpful in clarifying. Mark, uh, you've talked about the, in that, that intro, you talked about the importance of learning other people's histories. I've also, which I fully agree with, and I think you've modeled that well, but you've also said, I've also heard you say in this conversation about race that education is necessary, but insufficient. What do you mean by that? Well, it's, it's very hard to have a meaningful conversation about race in American history if you've not studied much about it. And I'm old enough to know the kind of uh, whitewashed history I got in seventh grade Kentucky history in a Kentucky public school. Uh, I don't think I was taught things that were false. I think I was only taught, you know, parts of the story. You're always only taught parts of the story that says you can't have complete knowledge. Sure. But I mean there were significant whole sections left out that, forget me as a Christian, just me as an historian would be curious about. So Kentucky, for instance, was a slaveholding state, uh, but didn't secede, at least not the whole of it. And so there's all kinds of stuff about uh, what uh, that institution and the acceptance of that and the championing of that by, by Christians in Kentucky did to the churches, to gospel witness, that I'm not going to learn in seventh grade class. But even more basic things, uh, you know, I've been, I've been in discussions before where because a friend doesn't know a certain fact and then I inform him of something, just a historical fact, how many enslaved persons there probably were in America in 1800, they take that as a contentious point, like uh, you're, I'm making some point. Well, no, friend, if you were just better read, I think you would see we do have good, solid evidence to know 
you know, how, how these things were tabulated. And while we might not have an exact number, we, we can have approximate numbers. There's, there are all kinds of things from individual stories of Emmett Till to gigantic narratives of, uh, like you were learning in Zambia mm-hmm. about Africans selling Africans. Mm-hmm. It's just a large, complex, ugly story. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the basic rudiments of it, it behooves all of us who are Christians. And I think I would especially say those of us who are in the majority race, it would behoove us to know that history especially because I think we bear a kind of a special stewardship for it in the way our Chinese brothers and sisters don't. I was just thinking, Mark, that you, um, we've talked so much about history on our podcast. And so I, I think there's that we need to pause and really think about this, that in order to love our neighbor as ourselves, in order to really engage in this conversation and to seek to um, relate in any way, history is incredibly important. And I follow you um, on Twitter and various places. And I love that you're pretty consistently sharing history. And so I just want- You're a kind sister. Those are really weird tweets. I know it, it's just me. Oh no. (laughs) On this date, Martin Luther ate a sandwich. They aren't weird. I, I I find them really interesting, and um and so and and half of most yeah most of the stuff I wouldn't have a clue about. So it, it's really yeah I find it interesting, but it's also important. That's it's important for us to, and I think it helps us to take our eyes off of ourselves if we can just engage and and understand history. It helps to put things in perspective. Yeah, it puts things into perspective. It helps understand so that we're not um, shocked. I think shocked when someone's responding to something current, a current event, a policy, something that's going on. It, we we can it can kind of put context to that response, and we can love love better. Well, and truly, that- those those short little tweets are actually a challenge for me to figure out how to do well. Sometimes, for example, just this last week. When we were recording this, it was the 180th anniversary of the ending of the slave trade mm-hmm. uh, in the British Empire in 1838, uh, uh, um, and uh, 185th in 1833, there it is. And, um, you know, when I thought about tweeting that out, I thought the simple way to do this is to tweet that out as just a grand thing. Well, and it is a grand thing, but it's in the context of a worse thing. So that's like celebrating. It's been three weeks since Tom stopped beating his wife. Mm. I'm really glad Tom stopped beating his wife. Please don't misunderstand. That's a great act of grace. Mm-hmm. You know, it's part of the larger, sadder story that Tom beat his wife for six years. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I, I want to celebrate William Wilberforce. But honestly, sometimes the way I see people celebrating someone like William Wilberforce, I think like, I am glad for everything you're glad for about that. There is a whole continent of lamentation mm. before that. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Uh, yeah. And so I don't want to take anything away from that rejoicing. And in some way, that rejoicing is even better and sharper once you have that lamentation in exactly. place. Exactly. But I, I, how, how do I mark those kinds of passages of time uh, and at the same time have enough tang to it that we're, we're kind of reminding ourselves as Christians, not just passive historians, secular, but as Christians something of the significance of it. And I don't know, I cast the thing out and pray that God will use them. Yes, absolutely. You know, what you just said kind of reminds me of the gospel in many ways of how, how 
we don't like to talk about sin. As a matter of fact, even in, in, I was talking to a good friend of mine, Melissa Kruger, and we were talking about how the word is less and less in our modern day vocabulary. Yet, um, and yet if we can understand our depravity and sin, oh, how sweet grace is. So we, sh we should look and at just, as you were talking about that, if we understand the, the depths of, um, and, and, oh, the, the terrible history of slavery, how much we can rejoice when we see someone, um, repent of change, make, make these, uh, effect change, historical change, etc. So it, it, it just reminded me of just the truth of that. We, we don't want, we, we want, we, we want to hide, um, the ugly, the, the terrible, the grievous, uh, the, the lament the things that we need to lament of and and but yet it when we re face it we we can see where we can rejoice and um where change has been made and and i think that also makes the story of someone like george lyle mm -hmm. you know all the more amazing when you mm -hmm. see what brothers and sisters have done with where they started and what they were given then you just have all the more reason to, to praise God. That mountain's being raised up to 20,000 feet, but it's starting 1,000 feet below sea level. It's an even bigger mountain than you realized. Right. You know, praise God for all this. Right. Oh, my. Uh, I'm going to keep us going, even though there's so many. I mean, well, there's one more thing on this. Yes. You know, it doesn't have to yeah. be just bookish history, yep. you know, before the Mayflower. It, it, it can be individual histories. Like Absolutely. I was mentioning in that introduction. So you don't have to be a history head. Right. You know, it can be uh, just oh. listening to your friend talk, right. asking him questions about how they were brought up about their parents, right. you know, about their experience, about their experience with the law, about their experience in school, about their experience with employment, about their experience with doctors, and just l having open ears to hear those things. But I, And I want to stress what you said, though, because you, you're talking about open ears to hear. And let me just say, as the friend who's been on the other side of those questions, I just find there is two... I respond very differently when someone approaches me in a kind of, hey, I'm asking you this question because you're on trial right now, and I want you to prove it. Prove it to me. And then I'll be... I would shut down. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just shut down. And, feel, yeah. and I'm like, okay, you just really sound like you're trying to defend the status quo. It doesn't really sound like you're interesting. As if my daughter came to me and, I, and she's crying, and I said, hey, prove it, and then daddy will help you. Uh, versus, yeah, what you're saying of like, I genuinely want to learn. Help, just, I want to learn about this history. So let me keep going. Mark, you, t you talked about the continent of lament. That was just a beautiful phrase. I was just there. If I'm understanding your historical, your historical point there, I was just there. And uh, that's in other episodes. I was talking about Ken and Bugwell. He's a part of this series as well. Uh, and then conversations I had in Zambia. Let me bring us back to North America uh, because, Mark, you played a role uh, in the American flag Huh. Uh, coming down at our, in our church's main gathering room. Let me just put it like that. Yeah. Uh, and I want to play a clip about how you thought through that. Uh, and in this clip, you also talk about single-issue voting. And Trillia will ask you about that. Okay. So when I preached here in the summer of 93, I noticed that there was an American flag and a Christian flag. Internationals don't know what the Christian flag is, and they're weirded out by it sometimes. Uh... It was a vacation Bible school product in the 1930s to, that fits with Americans, because Americans like flags. So it's like a, it's, 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 it's red, white, and blue. No, I'm serious. Uh, in, in, the, in the upper left-hand corner, it has a cross. Anyway, sorry. 
Um, did you ever pledge allegiance to that flag as, as a, a Sunday boy, school boy? I did at Vacation Bible School. In fact, I did. Um, so I said to when when I had been voted in by the church in December of '93, and before I moved here in the summer of '94, I was still living in Cambridge, pastor at Eden Baptist Church, and often speaking with Matt during news night when Jeremy Paxman was on back then, and uh, reviewing the day's news. Uh, I would be talking to Matt on the phone because he was still, it was before office hours were closed here. You seeing how the day went and seeing any, we'd, so Matt was, was changing up this space. He was, uh, I mean, it's all exactly like this. You're sitting in 110 year old pews, but it just, we were trying to make sure the floors worked and just trying to clean things up before I came. So he had all this area kind of ripped up. And I said, well, Matt, tell you what, are the American flag and the Christian flag still in the, the sanctuary? He said, well, not right now. We got everything you know, torn up. I said, Tell you what, when you put everything back in, just leave them out and see if anybody notices. And I felt a little bad because he didn't understand what was going on. And I knew exactly what was going on. And Matt, just very innocently, kindly, humbly, servant-like, typical of him, said, sure, well, yeah, that's right. And I don't think he thought anything else about it. Clock goes forward. I get here in the summer of 94. I start preaching in October of 94. Now it's 95, long about April of 95, an uh, older member from uh, Lynn, Massachusetts, comes up to me and says, Pastor, where are the flags? Uh, and I really literally didn't know what she was talking about. I said, what flags? Well, she said, the American flag and the Christian flag. I went, oh, uh, I, I don't know. Now, that was technically true. It, it was a it was a Jesuitical answer. Uh, I was uh, I knew what she wanted. And I wasn't giving it to her immediately, you know. But I was being honest before the Lord because I literally did not know where the flags were, and in fact, I had never known where the flags were. I really hadn't thought about the flags in probably over a year, and so I said to her, "I don't know." Um, and then I said to her, "Why?" And she said, "Well, Memorial Day is coming up, and we've got to have the flags." Now, again, realize, most of the men sitting in the congregation were World War II or the younger ones, Korean War vets. So they had, most of them had served in the military. There were some military personnel currently. Her intentions were only good. There's nothing wrong in her intentions. I responded, when people come to church, we're more fundamentally Christian than we are American. So we need to understand that we're gathering as Christians. So we have more in common with a Nigerian Christian or a German Christian or Brazilian Christian than we do with a non-Christian American who lives across the street. So it just seems inappropriate to have a national flag in a Christian church. And, by the way, historically it never happened before World War I. It's a very new thing. Um, and she was in and no- Republicans were wrapping themselves in the flag. Well, there was also the problem, like, because the Democrats took a, a stupid, ungodly position on abortion, you, you then had the, the thing that was going on in America for 20 years at that point of the evangelicals realigning themselves with the Republicans, which had not naturally been where the evangelicals went. The evangelicals naturally went with the Democrats. But they started going with the Republicans because of the abortion issue in 73, and so it, it, by I'm getting here during Clinton early, or first year Clinton's term, second year Clinton's term. So things are very heated. And uh, Newt Gingrich's contract with America is going on, and the Republicans are coming in. And, and they are really, ever since Jerry Falwell in the 70s, they have been wrapping themselves in 
the American flag, and I wanted to actually reach Democrats for Jesus. So I did not want this to appear like it was a, you know, Republican Party rally. We were already white and elderly. So I thought, really, what else can we do to tell the rest of the, co- the neighborhood we don't care about them? You know, oh, let's have big American flags and wave them like this. You know, so I just thought this, this would not be good. Just a little sidebar here. I think one of the greatest banes to uh, racial unity in the United States has been single-issue voting. Uh, I know dear brothers, I have, uh, uh, Wayne Grudem, John Piper, will celebrate single-issue voting. And many evangelical Christians in America who are white have assumed that this is the only moral position to take. And I appreciate the logic. I understand. You're saying that human life is valuable. What I want to do as Christians, though, is leave space for someone to make a moral decision that is other than that. Because I can imagine people who believe the Bible is true and Jesus is the only way, looking and thinking, like, I think abortion is murder, but I think nobody who thinks abortion is murder has been able to end it by getting into the White House that they've been promising for 40 years. And there are a bunch of other things that really can happen that this candidate is going to do that will help my people and my community. And so they make a studied decision. And I think, honestly, our African-American friends have been used to making (laughs) mixed decisions for the last few centuries here in our country. So I think they're well familiar with this being a fallen world and you needing to have to, everything you do is going to be mixed with evil in that sense. So they're well used to the idea of a vote being a less than a purely good, happy, 100% thing. So while I do want to leave space morally for an evangelical Christian to conclude to be a single-issue voter on abortion or whatever issue it might be, I want to say that I think it would be smart for evangelical Christians to understand that uh, you can decide voting issues other ways than by a single issue and that that can be a morally respectable option. And I think if we thought more carefully about that, that would ease racial tensions inside the churches uh, in a way that we're often not very self-conscious that we're stoking. Well, there's a lot that you said in that clip, and I I um, giggled at one point just thinking about uh, just how, how we respond to different things. But um, how can Christians be more thoughtful on these matters? Um, uh, it, things things like uh, the flag, flags being in our churches and single issue voting what how can we be more more thoughtful as we i think more than anything as we relate to one another a few things uh simply i think uh, get to know your bible better uh, get to know other christians better get to know other churches uh use history to get to know what christians and churches were like in the past those would be some short answers Um, I'm actually going to take us to prayer because we've been talking for a bit. And back in that sermon clip we played at the beginning, you list some prayer requests and the ways, different ways this church has prayed. We prayed for Clinton in the 90s, and we prayed for Bush, and we pray for Obama, and we will now pray for Trump. And if culture is coarsened or some members of our church or community have lives that are made more difficult... We will, as we've always done, work to bind up the wounds and encourage their continued discipleship and witness until the Lord returns or calls us home. We will pray for goodness and justice and right to triumph, but we will harbor no illusions that if Gore or McCain or Hillary Clinton had been elected, then the fall would have been reversed. 
In our politics, the victors and the vanquished live in a fallen world, even though they experience the fall differently. Pray that we learn well from listening to each other's histories, as I've tried to learn. And pray that God give us wisdom in knowing how best to respond to those that we're wondering if we should regard even as our enemies. So, Mark, what we do is we just grab themes from what we've talked about. Okay. Anything you're thinking um, that's been pressed upon you or, you know, even as you're revisiting your own words, uh, just taking these things up in prayer. So, Trillia, you can open us, sister. Mark will pray. Then I will close us. Well, Lord, I just thank you so much for today, God. And as Mark was saying, thank you that we have your word that we have a relationship with you and that we can look at at um, information with different eyes, with gospel lens, God. And that is by your grace and only because of your grace and mercy on our lives. So God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, a good and sovereign God. And thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross, bearing the wrath that we deserve and that we can approach your throne of grace right now and um, ask for mercy and help in our time of need. And Lord, what we need is wisdom. <laughs> we need wisdom for navigating these topics with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need grace so that we can learn to love one another. God, we need, um, we need help. We need to learn how to be quick to hear and slow to speak, that we can um, ask good questions so that we can get to know one another so that we can obey you and love our neighbor as ourselves. God, help us to resist apathy, God, and to press into relationships and ask each other good questions because we care and love, which we can only care and love if we have transformed hearts by your gospel. So Lord, would you transform our hearts? Would we repent where we need to repent, Lord, and confess where we need to confess? And um, Lord, I just want to also pray for leaders. God, would you raise up pastors who are thinking through these as Marcus think has been thinking through these over the years? God, that who will be able to lead their um, congregations in wisdom on, on, on how to be a family, Lord, who disagrees. We're not going to all agree, but God, that we would have unity of spirit because of your gospel. So Lord, would you help um, equip leaders and raise up leaders who are willing to um, be different because of your gospel and to speak truth in love. So God, um, that's, I pray you will help uh, bring leaders in their lives who can disciple them so that they can help and shepherd the flock well. So God, I pray you would do this. We love you. We're grateful for you. We're so thankful for, for um, this opportunity to think through mm -hmm. these hard topics. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Lord, we pray specifically for Trillia and Isaac. Thank you for the labor they put into having this time together. And thank you for the way they're serving so many by listening to thoughtful conversations and then taking them to you in prayer. Thank you for the way they model that. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the histories that you give us that we've been thinking of. Lord, thank you for Christian biographies. Uh, thank you for people that we know. Thank you for your long patience with us. 
Thank you for the way you call us in your word again and again to remember, remember, remember. Thank you for giving us the Lord Jesus Christ in your love. Thank you for his loving command, leaving us the the supper, where he said that we should do this in remembrance of him. Thank you for the powerful way that you have made us, that you intend to use memory. Lord, we pray that you would give us as your followers uh, understanding from your word, by your spirit, of how we can remember well. Mm. Teach us what we should remember. Lord, help us to be able to remember effectively. Lord, help us to be able to love others by understanding and remembering. Lord, we pray that you would use us in the local churches that you call us to be a part of. We pray that you would use us to be those people who are ourselves prayerful, who are relying on you, who are loving in the way we ask questions. Lord, we pray especially for the partisan divisions there are in our churches. Uh, Lord, in ways that we hide behind something by calling it partisan and diminish its importance when we really should be more vocal, we pray that you would convict us. Uh, Lord, in the ways that we are uh, out of uh, sincere ignorance, wrongly dividing your body or attempting to, not attempting to in purpose, but Lord, effectively doing that by being too partisan, uh, Lord, whether it's on the left or the right or in some other independent way, we pray, Lord, that you would give us humility, that you would give us a slowness of speech, a quickness to listen. We pray, Lord, you give us a quickness to pray, to turn to you. Lord, you are such a, a good and caring God in the way that you care for your bride. We thank you for the way you intend to make your church beautiful. We thank you for the promise that we have in Revelation 21 about the beauty of that heavenly city. We pray, Lord, that you would increasingly shape your churches into that. You know the challenges we're facing in front of us. Lord, it feels sometimes like we face different ones every year. And then again, Lord, there is a, there is a familiarity about the challenges. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us an understanding of how we can love each other, even through differences. Uh, give us an understanding of when we should speak up even more loudly. Thank you for the brothers and sisters who do that sometimes, who can be misunderstood even by people like me and what I'm advocating. And Lord, we pray that you give them wisdom and courage. And Lord, thank you for your work in stopping us when we're about to do things that are unhelpful. Uh, give us great wisdom. Build up your church. Thank you for the promise that your church will succeed, that there's no danger of your church failing. Lord, we rejoice to hear that. Uh, we're not operating under pressure like we might get this thing wrong and, and lose the whole thing after 2,000 years of being in business. Thank you that that's not true. Thank you that the victory in Christ is certain. Thank you that even hell's strongest parts, its gates will not stand before the church. Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom in the stewardships you call us to have in your church in our day, in these very issues we've been talking about. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, we pray to you as brothers and sister. Father, we thank you for this day to gather, to pray, to talk, to challenge one another, to listen to one another, uh, not listening simply, uh, not listening, Father, in order to respond or defend ourselves, but listening to hear, to understand and to grow. Father, would you enable us to do that better? Would you train our ears? Father, would you also transform and renew our minds? And we need your word for that. Mm -hmm. So, Father, we pray for clearer eyes to see how the issues we've been talking about, how your word speaks to them and how your word speaks to us, Lord. And we pray that we would not be 
hearers of your word only, but doers of your word, Father. Father, I think of the conversations I was just having in, uh, in Africa, Father, in that continent of lament in so many ways. Uh, Father, specifically in Kenya, hearing about the elections there and how people voted along tribal lines. Oh, Lord, we know there's exceptions here and there, but Father, uh, Father, we praise you in so many ways how, despite all our differences, Lord, we are similar, uh, Father, and yet we ask for wisdom in those differences. Father, we know, I think of the preacher's words in Ecclesiastes, how there's nothing new under the sun, how Christians have been wrestling with these issues for a long time. Would you give us wisdom and grace to learn from the past? Father, would you give us wisdom and grace uh, to understand, as Marcus said, that memory is no mere thing? And Father, would you even give us joy and seeing how you have been so gracious throughout history, as, as we were talking about, as Trillia and Mark pointed out, Lord, we, we are more joyful when we better understand our sorrows because we can better understand your grace. Father, we pray knowing that you are sovereign and strong despite how weak we may be. Father, we simply ask that you would improve our posture in this conversation Father, we pray knowing that we cannot fix everything. That's why we're praying, because only you can. We know that everything in this world won't be fixed. And yet we pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom as to what we can fix, as to what we can do. Lord, we pray even in the midst of the voting booth, in the midst of the pew, in the midst of the pulpit, that you would give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Mark, thank you for joining us. As Trillia talked about it earlier, people can follow you on tweets for This Day in History and other things. Uh, anything else you have for us? Yeah, pray for people in the press. Yeah. What a hard job they have. Yes. Brothers, we have a lot of brothers and sisters in the press. Pray for brothers and sisters in the press. Yeah. And read yeah. good biography. Rosaria Butterfield's Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert mm -hmm. is a great example of somebody letting us listen into their life. Mm. That's the kind of listening and teach, telling of our own stories we want to do. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us, brother. Thank you, uh, friends. Contact information will be in the show notes. Folks, you know where to, after three seasons, you should know where to find Trillia and myself. Trill, thank you for joining us, sis. Always good to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you, Trillia. Grace and peace. Pray.